We're on week four of our series. In the first week, Pastor Aaron uh, taught us about adoption using the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Week two, he talked about grace uh, using Saved by the Bell. Week three, he talked about spiritual family uh, using Full House. Today, I'm going to teach a message uh, based on the show, Home Improvement. Yeah. Um, and maybe you didn't, maybe you weren't alive in the 90s, or maybe you didn't watch TV in the 90s, and you're like, hey, what's that show about? Well, it's, the main character is Tim uh, the Tool Man Taylor, uh, and the, the whole premise of the show is it's kind of a little meta. He is the host of a home improvement show in the show, so it's like a show within a show, and the whole idea of Tim is this, he's kind of a lovable loser. And he messes everything up. He's always blowing something up. It doesn't quite go how it's supposed to go. And there's a guy named Al on the show with him who kind of fixes everything that he blows up or catches on fire or something, you know. And not only that, does he not just mess up on the show, he messes up in his family too. Like, his family always has these big things, and it's always his fault, it seems like. And he has to go to his neighbor, Wilson, who we never see his face. We just see his eyes. He gets the advice from Wilson. He applies it to his life. Everything is better, and 30 minutes or less. So great. Um, And, you know, it's like, as I say, he's like a little bit of a lovable loser. He's like a Detroit Lions fan. Um, You know, it's just like, man, you know, you you feel bad for the guy. He's just, he's just, he's just out here struggling. And, uh, and so here he is, his husband, dad, father, trying to get it right. And uh, there's this line in that he does when, when he opens up the show and he says, what time is it? Yeah, he say, he say tool time. That's how, that was the name of the show. And I want to talk to you about tool time today, and specifically time, and what the Bible has to say about that. And so we're going to go back to the book of Deuteronomy, and uh, means the second giving of the law. Uh, and what it, what, what's happening in this book, to give you some context, is Moses is delivering this to God's people on behalf of God. God is speaking through Moses to bring this to them. They've been in slavery for generations in Egypt. God is bringing them out of Egypt to a promised land. And they're, as they're preparing their hearts to go into the promised land, Moses is giving them instruction like, you lived your life this way there, you lived your life this way for 40 years in the, the wilderness, now we're about to head to where God has promised us to, here's how you need to live your life. And so, uh, here's how he starts off in verse 4, he says, hear, O Israel. And actually, this passage of scripture is called in the Jewish culture, the Shema, or the Shema, and really what it means is, listen with the intent to do something about it. Now, I didn't just say listen. It starts off with hear, listen. If you're a parent, you know the difference between listen and listen with the intent to do something about it, right? And so he's like, listen to do. Listen to put this into practice. He says, listen, hear Israel. Hear my people. The Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength. We kind of see this pattern throughout Scripture that there's a three-part being of us as humans. We are three parts. We are a spirit. We have a soul, and we live in a body. This is the same thing, the same understanding here. He's like, so what is he saying? Love God with all you are. 
That's the point he's making here. He says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. He's like, it's not just head knowledge. It needs to be a heart knowledge. Impress them on your children. He's speaking to parents here. He's speaking not just to parents, though. He's speaking to the whole society. Because sometimes we can read this and be like, oh, that's a parenting scripture. I'm not a parent. That doesn't apply to me. Or I'm an empty nester. That doesn't apply to me. Or I'm a single person. That doesn't apply to me. No, no, no. He's just saying, like, this is the way your society and your spiritual family should work. Impress them upon your children. Here's how he says to do that. Talk about them when you sit at home. When you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, and then it just kind of gets a little weird. Tie them as symbol on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. What is he talking about here? He knew that as they were coming to this promised land, they would forget about God. Because here's what they would do. They would be so blessed with the promised land that they would forget about the one who made the promise. That they would relegate him to one day a week for an hour, and it better not go over an hour. Or they would relegate him to five minutes Devo time. I got to read my Bible. I got to get my streak and the Bible app. What he was saying is, it's not, I'm not to be relegated to just one area of your life. I actually want me in every area of your life. And as we're talking about home improvement, I want us to think of our lives like a home. And notice I, I didn't say a family, because sometimes, like, you know, even when we have our new family dinner, we've had the people say, like, well, I'm not, I don't have a family. I'm just a single person. I can't come to new family dinner. Well, no, that's not what we're saying. You've got to contextualize this. So as we are a home, think of our bodies as homes, this house that you come into. And when I was growing up, we had a formal living room in our house. And I'm the oldest of nine kids. We had this formal living room with a nice couch. We called it the Italian room. It's so fancy, but we're not allowed to go in there. Like, forbidden. Like, I don't know why, but I remember one time my brother got super glue all over the couch, and it was ruined. It wasn't me. And in our lives, what we do with Jesus is we're like, hey, Jesus, you're not allowed in that room. You're not allowed in that area of my life. Or maybe we're like, hey, Jesus, you're grounded to your room. You got one room, all the rest of the rooms. It's a small pantry back there somewhere. It's a closet. Stay in there. Don't come out of the basement. And we relegate him to a period of his life. And what, 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 what he's saying here is like, it's not just like, hey, this is a priority and I'm going to give him room. I'm going to give him the whole house. I'm turning over the whole home to him. So I want to talk about the four tool times for home improvement that he shares in this passage. And your home is whatever sort, whether you're single, whether you're an empty nester, you're a grandparent, you never had kids, you don't want to have kids, you have no kids, you're single, you're married, no matter what, you got fur babies, whatever it is, whatever your home looks like, this for us, is God setting the rhythm of what he wants our lives to look like. 
Don't just think like, well, it's just not for me. It's for you. So what's the first time he mentions? He says, when you sit at home. When you sit at home. What it's talking about here is, is primarily eating at the table. It's a lost art today that we just look at it as feeding our bodies when we sit at the table and eat together. But in the Jewish culture, it was so much more than that. So much more than that. And the table is intended to be the time where we establish values as a home. Where we establish what matters to us. And you know, it's just weird because over the last 70 years in America, that this is, has, I mean, if you go to different cultures, they still value this. But it's like, we, we, we had the TV dinner. And I remember my grandma had those trays, you know, the fold up, like we're going to go watch TV and eat together. We're not going to do life face to face. We're going to do life looking at the TV. We're not going to look at each other anymore. We're going to look at the TV. And this, we, 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 we don't take the time to find the meaning in life at the table. And in fact, when we look at, when I know we took communion today, and if you understand communion, was Jesus practicing the Last Supper. What Jesus was doing at the Last Supper was practicing Passover, the Jewish tradition of Passover, which they were celebrating, again, in this same time, God set them free from Egypt. The death angel passed over their house. They would celebrate this yearly. And part of this culture of Passover, what one was this, is the children would look at the parents and they would say, what does this mean? Even it's in the scriptures that he, he says, when your kids ask this question, what does this mean? You need to break it down for them. But as parents and as leaders and as people today, we've kind of got this idea of like, if I ask God any questions about my faith, it might all fall apart. Oh, God can't handle my questions. He'll cease to be God if I ask him questions. No. An unquestioned faith is a weak faith. An untested faith is a weak faith. And so God can handle our questions. He put that in there for us. And it's, it's amazing that there were so many Jewish festivals that revolved around food and eating and celebrating and remembering, making meaning of life. In fact, it was considered if you, to have guests in your home was considered a mitzvah or a commandment for you. When you knew of a stranger who was hungry and who had no place to go, you were legally obligated to bring them in and to bless them. And in fact, in the Passover, if you had a neighbor who you knew didn't have the, the provision to, to celebrate and bring in the lamb and have the bread and have the wine and have the cups and have the meal together, you were required to invite them in. And in fact, if I invited you to my house and I didn't give you the best cup, the best cut of meat, the best slice of bread, I was dishonoring myself. You see that they had a lot of weight on the meal. It wasn't just like, hey, what are we going to eat today? Let's get it done. Let's do the dishes. Let's get it out of the way. There was something powerful there. And there's something powerful when we eat together. And you see that with Jesus in the Last Supper. There's so much meaning there. And what we need to do as we eat, whether we're parents, we're single, wherever we're at in our life stage, is use the table time to debrief, to process, to tell stories, to make meaning of life, to establish those values. 
So I want to just help contextualize that for you. If you're a single person, my question for you, and this really could be for anybody, is who are you eating with? Who are you eating with? Who are you joining yourself to? Who are you sitting down with? Who are you making meaning of life with? If you're a couple, I just would ask you this, like, what are you talking about at the table? What does your table time look like? Because you know what? It's funny when you go to the restaurant, a fancy restaurant, and you'll look across there, and it's all couples, and they're doing this. I get it. I understand. I'm important, too. People got things to say. I got to figure out what's happening on Twitter. Like, I understand. I, gotta, I don't want to miss anything. But you know what I've had to do is just like, I'm not even putting it on the table because that's a power move. It's like, I'm going to put it away. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to turn off the notification. I'm going to be present. For parents, I ask, like, what does mealtime look like for you? What are you discussing at the table? How are you facilitating discussion and meaning? And let me just, there's one that's not on the screen here. If you're like an empty nester or you're older, here's what I would encourage y'all to do. Find some young people in the church, some young couples or young people, and bring them in your house. Invite them over for dinner. Talk. Make meaning of life. Paul wrote this. He said that you have many instructors in the Lord, but you don't have many mothers and fathers. That's what we need. That's what we need from you. That's what we need from you. So when you're sitting, but when the next one he says is when you're walking along the road. Now, uh, today we hardly do this unless we're going out for a walk. Like, but in their day, they walked everywhere. In fact, you see this in the life of like the disciples and Jesus is like, he was always walking somewhere, just walking. There was a different pace of life. Come on, a different pace of life. Like today we're like, okay, I get, get on 1604. I'm going to drive hundred miles an hour. Like I got, I got somewhere to go. I'm important. I'm going to pass you on the right. I'm going to go on the shoulder to get past you just to go get over on the exit and be like one car in front of you. I'm important. I got places to go, people to see. But his was like, walk, like, there's a pace. There's a different pace that they have here. Disciples are made on the road. The road is the place that disciples are made. Jesus made all his disciples on the road. This is for informal and conversation and talking. And I think about this as like road trip talks. How many of you ever going on a long road trip with someone and you just able to talk and, and, and get to know one another? I like, to, I like to think of it this way. One of our leadership values is this as a church. It's walk with me. Taken from the understanding of the Bible is like Jesus had people walk with him. It's like, who are we bringing along with us? And, and creating moments where it's like as a dad, I, I'm, I'm like, hey, who can I bring with me to do something? Okay, I'm going to go wash the car. Who wants to come with me? Like, I would get better peace by myself. Like, I'm not getting any help. Like, I'm going to have to re-vacuum if they vacuum or clean the window. But it's, there's a principle of, like, I'm bringing them with me. I, I, I use this as a leader, as a pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for our, our staff and our younger staff, and I'm saying, come with me. Hey, I'm going to go to the hospital and pray for somebody. Would you come with me? Because they didn't actually teach you that in Bible school. They just taught you theory of praying for people. They never actually brought you to the hospital and said, hey, pray with somebody. So come with me. Let me show you how it's done. Let me, let me bring somebody with me. And, you know... Uh, 
It's little moments like that, going to get gas, and it's big moments where we're bringing someone with us. Uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm taking my daughter next week for her 16th birthday, birthday to Disney to just celebrate with her. It's a walk with me moment where we're going to stand in long lines. You've got to stand in the line to get on the plane. You've got to stand on the line to get our... I mean, you know, it's just like a lot of standing in lines, walking along the road together. We're going to do that. We've got to make this a loving time, understanding their love languages, whether, you know, if you haven't learned about the five love languages, I encourage you to go check that out. Uh, there's five ways that people receive love. Knowing those that, are your, that, you're, that you're walking along life with is how can you love them? How can you have fun together? How can you have focused time? Like I said, turn it off. And so what we do on the road is we, we love, we laugh, we learn, we sing, we have fun together. So my question for you is all of us, whether you're single, married, anything, parents, kids, who are you traveling with? By that I mean, are the people you have joined yourself to in relationship going in the same direction you are, or are they going in a different direction? Everybody who I'm going to get on the plane with tomorrow is all going to the same location. I'm going to get on a plane in San, San Antonio. We're all going to Orlando, right? We all have to be okay with we're all going to Orlando. We're all on the same plane. We're all going to the same place. But there are people in our lives that, that we come to the, the fork in the road and say, you're not going in the same direction I am. I'll see you later. I'm going over here. That's not my destination. That's not where God has called me to. Second thing, I, I say for couples, where are you and your spouse headed in different directions? And how can you be united? United, I love what Pastor Aaron taught in our marriage series, united, we are undefeated. For parents, how are you making use of car time and little time and all along the road time and road trips to invest into your kids? It takes a long-term investment, big and little, time over time. The third time he mentions here is when you lie down. This is bedtime. I like to think of this as personal conversation with the guardrails down. People are more vulnerable at bedtime. They're more open. This is a reflection time. It's the time to open the heart, whether you're a parent, whether you're married. In fact, the Bible even addresses this in Ephesians. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. What is he talking about here? Is he saying like a sitcom from the 90s that every problem is solved by the end of the day? Yay, 30 minutes or less. No. What he's saying is this. The way you end one day will determine how the next day starts. How many of you have ever gone to bed worried about something? How am I going to pay that bill? And then the whole night, you're just worried about how you're going to pay that bill. You're stayed up all night. Or you're worried about that kid. How are they going to get saved? How, Jesus, are you going to get them out of this thing right here? I'm going to stay up all night thinking about that. Or, hey, I'm just, I just fought right before I went to bed. And I'm just, that's the way I'm going to start that. There's a a principle I live my life by, and that's this. The way I end one chapter of life is the way I start the next chapter. That as bad as a season can be, I have to figure out how do I end that well. And that starts every day as a new chapter with God. He says our mercies are new. Every morning, which we'll get to in just a moment. 
And sometimes as parents, we think like, or as leaders, I see this in, in leadership too. This was super popular to be taught in the leadership when I grew up. And it was like, don't ever let them see you sweat. Like, you got to show them you're perfect. You got to show them how strong you are. Don't let anyone see you be weak because don't let your kids. But at the end of the night, that's the time for us to model grace to people, for ourselves, for our kids, in our marriages. If you're a kid, to your parents. And this is the time where I can model repentance to my kids. What I love about Pastor Aaron is like, he's super vulnerable and open. He doesn't get up here and say, hey, I'm the perfect pastor. I'm amazing. I'm the best husband. I'm the best dad. I mean, he tells you all this. Sometimes I'm like, Pastor, you just got to have to cut back a little bit. Like just, like some of these, I mean, I I don't, but but that's what y'all like about it, right? That's the vulnerable, that's what people say. It's like, I love that vulnerable. I love the modeling of grace. And that's what we have to do as parents. That's what we have to do as leaders. That's what we have to do in our marriages. We model in grace because the way we end one day starts how we start the next day. And so what do we do at bedtime? We find moments to pray. We find moments to repent. Hey, I'm sorry that I yelled at you in anger. You did something that angered me, but my response wasn't right. I'm going to own what I'm going to own, but I'm also going to forgive you. I'm going to model forgiveness. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, one of the things is like, obviously we've got Thanksgiving coming up and we're going to touch on, have a couple messages on gratitude, but you know, practicing gratitude at the end of your day determines what you're focused on the whole night. What if instead of like, how am I going to pay these bills? We said, man, Lord, I just thank you for providing for me. I'm so gracious that you're providing for me. Oh, Lord, how, how is my body going to heal itself? Lord, I just thank you that you designed the body. I'm so gracious for you. That, like, there's so many things that we can do to practice gratitude at night that will cause us actually to have better sleep. And when we sleep better, we'll find we get up better. So the questions for all of us, whether single, married, empty nester, whatever, is what are you filling yourself with at the end of your day? How are you ending your chapter? Maybe you don't need to know what's happening in the entire world by browsing the news. Maybe you'll sleep a little better if you don't consume so much social media. Maybe. It'd be better if you don't fill yourself with that at the end of the night. Maybe give it a shot. Couples, what unfinished business are you sleeping on? If you're a married couple, what, what, what unfinished business are you sleeping on? And parents, what are you modeling for your kids at bedtime? What are you modeling for them? Are you modeling grace? Are you, again, I'll say this. I said this in first service. If your kids have never seen you repent, how will they know how to repent? That's an important part of, that's an important discipline of living a Christian life. But I have to model to my kids like, hey, can, I, can, I, can dad repent to you? I didn't talk to your mom in the right way. I didn't speak to you in the right way. I responded with anger there when I should have been calm and patient. Forgive me. What are you modeling? The last time he mentions here, the fourth time he says, when you get up, Jesus was our model. He was our example. In Mark 1, 
Verse 35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Jesus started the day right. And you're like, Jesus, I'm not a morning person except for on uh, time change weekend. That's all you're going to get. Uh, but, you know, how many people were late? I don't know if that's the case either. Uh, but what this is, is, is it's intended for us to prepare. The way we start matters. The way that we start determines our experience during the day. Morning is the time to start right. It's our fresh start. It is that new mercy every morning. So what does this look like? What can this look like for us as believers? Is, you know, for me, let me just give you an example. So I get up in the morning, and one of the things I do is I have 61 affirmations from God's Word that I've put together. Now, maybe 61 is too much for you. But here's why I have 61 things. They are things that I tell myself that I'm going to do during the day. I'm going to be a good father. I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a leader. I'm a pastor of pastors, uh, a shepherd of people. I, I have the mind of Christ. I think like he thinks. I have to, for, for you, maybe you only need one thing to remind yourself. I got to remind myself with like 61 things. And I've actually recorded my own voice saying those things to me. And I pull that out and I listen to it and I can read it and say, this is what I am. This is who I aspire to be. So they are aspirational. They're, they're like, I'm inspiring myself to do what God's called me to do every morning. And I look at them as this way, as, as being a, a person of God, a follower of God, is that I have the gift to be prophetic in my life. Now, I know that could scare some of y'all. They're like, oh, no, it's that kind of church. I'm getting out of here. We don't fully understand when the Bible talks about prophets, what is the role of the prophet? Now, when you think of the role of a prophet, what do you think of? There's someone who tells the future. Ooh. It's not just like a psychic telling the future. Prophets, their main role in the Old Testament wasn't just foretelling. They actually did more forthtelling than they did foretelling. By that, I mean they didn't, weren't just telling the future. They were telling the present. Right now, people, this is how we should act. This is how we should behave because we belong to the king. So I can be a prophetic voice in the lives of my children. I can be a prophetic voice in the life of my wife. I can be a prophetic voice in my own life of foretelling and saying, I'm going to forgive like God forgives today. I'm going to love like God loves today. I'm going to be patient like God loves today. I'm going to control my anger like God controls his anger today. I'm going to be all he calls me to be. That is what our morning should be. We encourage. We proclaim. We aspire. We inspire. That is what we're called to be. And let me just say this. It's like the way you start your... Just let's go to the natural. And, and please... Feel no judgment here, but I'm just going to tell you something. Snooze button is of the devil. <laughs> Here's why. You're like, I love the snooze button. Do you know what happens in your body when you press the snooze button and you go back to sleep? It, it actually diminishes your physical energy for the day. It makes you feel good in the moment. It diminishes your mental capacity for the day. It diminishes your soul 
emotional capacity for the day because your body is ready to start and then you just try to restart it. It's like getting in your car when it's already started and cranking it again. You can't do that too many times. You know what will happen? Sometime it won't start. So start it. That's just, that's free. Y'all can do with it whatever you want. You can complain. Jason at RyanChurchTX.com. So my question as we wrap up is how are you starting your day? For all of us, whether we're parents, single, empty nesters, how are you starting your day? And I know, I know what you're thinking. I know there's some people here who are like, well, that was a message from the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament believer. I don't have to do any of that. I'm under grace, not the law. Let's go to John 12, verse 25 then. Jesus, what I love about that is like that's the mindset we have, but Jesus always raises the bar. Like, we, we sometimes think it's like, oh, now that the law is gone, it's, it's easy. Lowering the bar is only a good thing in limbo. He actually raises the bar. He said, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. He actually said, you know what? There might be a room in your house that you're not willing to give me. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe it's what you're viewing. Maybe it's, maybe it's your character. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's school. Maybe it's your neighbors. He said, but actually what I want you to do is even more than that. I want you to lose the whole thing. I want you to turn over ownership of that house to me. And I'm going to transform it in such a way that when you see it, you're like, is that the same home? Is that the same life? Because what I've realized is this, is you might be sitting here today and you're like, you know, I don't know if I believe in any of that Jesus stuff. I can prove to you why that's wrong. And, you know, people today are like, they're trying to like, you know, oh, gotcha, see? You know, one of the things I saw recently here is like, there's this new thing. It's like, oh, it's now proven by by historians and archaeologists that the people of Israel actually didn't just serve one God. They served multiple gods. See, we got you. There isn't one. But that actually proves what the Bible says is true because you know what those prophets were doing. Hey, stop following those gods. Stop saying that's the wife of God. That ain't the wife of God. That's something. Here, stop saying that's like God's cousin over here. These are false gods. You need to stop following that. And people, we try to play that like that gotcha game. But one thing I've realized that people cannot argue with is the power of a transformed life. You can argue the facts with me all day long. You cannot argue me out of the fact that I know that Jesus has transformed my life. He's transformed my home. He's transformed my relationships.